you are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, this is Tony Down. Welcome to another episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. As with every episode, we start this one saying that the intended audience is everybody. And today, I'm really excited to be speaking to our special guest, Dr. Joe Lasseter, on what his role is in pharmacy technology and informatics. So thank you so much for taking some time to be on the podcast, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tony. Really, thanks for the opportunity. It's a Friday. Um, you know, we had a long week behind us, and so I'm really excited to be able to talk shop with you and your listeners. Yeah, like I'm really excited because actually, I've, I've seen your name so many times everywhere and I've just never officially reached out to you so, so it's just, yeah it's, it's really well, cool we're talking now so well I really appreciate that you know and it's it's, it's finding uh, much like you I imagine when you find something um, a career path that really resonates you you want to be able to share it with other people in case that um, it's something that may resonate with them as well and so I like to stay active and be able to um, reach out to folks and share my path when possible so this is a great platform for doing that yeah yeah and you know just going off that like uh, just can you tell the listeners a little bit about, I guess, uh, just a little bit about yourself and maybe about the early on stages of like how you got into the field? Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Um, so, again, my name is Joe Lasser. My current role is that I'm the president and managing advisor for the Robertson Group. And the Robertson Group is a small consultancy based in Portland, Oregon. And so our, our firm focuses on uh, clinical informatics, health information technology, and medication use systems. And what we like to do that uh, differentiates us ourselves from uh, some of the other consulting firms out there is that we're really clinician-led. So all of our folks have a health professional background, time in healthcare, doing the job that they're then advising about the health information technology portion of it. So um, all of us practice, and then at a certain time, we came over to the dark side and uh, learned the IT of it, uh, IT part of it, or the health IT part of it, and fell in love with it, and learned to blend the two in our role. And I, I think that really helps our clients because I like to keep it first and foremost in my mind that um, health information technology or informatics, at the end of the day, these are patient care tools. And we cannot forget that. In fact, I like to take a, a, a beef sometimes with some of the schools of pharmacy who call the, the rotations non-patient care. I really like to call it indirect patient care because certainly we're not the ones directly there. Our colleagues are talking to the patient, taking their med rec history, but everything we do empowers the ability to care for patients. And so I like to really keep that in mind no matter what I do, that even though we're a little bit removed from the patient care, that we can't forget that part of it. So a little bit more background about me is uh, I started started in a traditional field. I was on the old Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy curriculum at uh, the St. Louis College of Pharmacy in St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. So I graduated my Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy. I practiced for a little bit and then went back and got a master's of science in pharmacy administration. And at that time, you know, I had these competing interests in my mind, direct patient care, which I was really excited about and the reason I went into pharmacy practice, but also a population-based care. So looking at how, what tools we use to take care of larger populations and not just the individuals. And so that led me down a path of working in a managed care pharmacy for a while that uh, at the time that really resonated with me. And it was that idea of 
looking at patients on that population-based level or the regional level and how we could help take care of them. And then over the next uh, 10 years of my practice, I, I did various roles in health system pharmacy, the pharmaceutical industry, and some time working as a faculty member as well. Around that time, I uh, really started to become, if I look back across my career, I became interested that there's a threat of technology throughout it. I think the students today have some more opportunities for mentors in the field. Um, at the time, I didn't really have any mentors that were interested in technology or thought of technology as a subspecialty within pharmacy. Uh, there were definitely people who were doing health IT things, informatics and analytics, though we wouldn't have maybe called them that at that time. But those, uh, you know, it, it was exciting to look back and think about all the, the technology touch points I had in my career. So fast forward to, uh, you know, the early 2000s, and I had moved out to Portland, Oregon, and I would, had the opportunity to become part of an epic installation at Oregon Health and Science University. And I think that was the real turning point in my career. Um, I had the fortunate chance to work for Mike Brownlee, who was my um, assistant director and then director of pharmacy at the time. And he gave me the opportunity to be an informatics pharmacist, which I really didn't know anything about. I didn't know what that title meant. But um, as we talked through it, I think it, it seemed to me like it really blended a lot of my interest. So it blended my interest in being able to utilize technology, take care of patients, look at populations and be, uh, you know, how many times do you get to establish something that every single clinician you will utilize to take care of patients and every single patient will get to interact with to help direct their care. And that's what makes informatics exciting to me. So fast forwarding a little bit, I spent the, the, so the second half of my 10 years of my career, I've spent in various technology roles throughout the institution. And the last full-time equivalent role that I had was at University of Michigan Health System, where I had the opportunity to lead their medication use informatics and systems and help them convert to Epic. Um, over the course of a couple of years. It was exciting to me because um, I think we're getting to the point in our uh, wave of technology where most of the major implementations are, are over and people are uh, finding other things that they need to do with technology. Um, I was very excited to be part of University of Michigan and be part of that project. After that, I got the opportunity to move to consulting full-time. Nan Robertson, who founded my company, was a, a really a leader, a pharmacist who had been on on top of Kaiser's first EPIC implementation. And she really saw where the field was going and that we were going to need, people are going to need specialty advice and help as we looked at medication use systems and technology. So she founded the the, um, the Robertson Group. And uh, about the time I started consulting, she decided to retire. And so I took over leading the company. And that's what I've been doing to this day. Wow. You have like a really, you know, varied amount of experience in your journey. And you know, like when you were talking about the term of non-patient care as it applies to these these rotations in informatics, I, I do agree with you. And actually, part of the reason too for me getting into informatics was the whole aspect of like, I'm not just affecting one person, I'm affecting a larger amount of people by, you know, working on the tools that these clinicians are going to be using. So like that really is like something I agree with, like like what you said. And then, you know, going back to like, that's kind of like how you saw it with managed care, right? Like when you got into managed care. Right, exactly right. Like we're, you know, as setting the, the clinical utilization policies. Part of my role was working with, after the pharmacy benefit management company had decided to partner with a pharmaceutical company by putting their drug on the formulary for whatever, we would design clinical programs to help patients utilize those drugs appropriately and accurately. So it was exciting to me, exactly what you said, you know, uh, building up these systems that would be in perpetuity that would affect patient care from there on out. And, and to your point, Tony, one of the things I'd like to tell when I'm teaching in the class 
classroom, I started thinking about that with informatics. It's like, okay, great. I'm a patient care provider. I can see patients in the clinic and I might be able to renally dose their medications uh, when they get admitted. Let's say one out of every 10 patients, I get the opportunity to do it. Or I could help develop clinical decision support rules within the electronic health record that every time there's an opportunity that that needs to be done, the right information is gathered for that clinician and they're ready to take care of their patient on their own. And to me, the latter story was very powerful. Sometimes the students and I joke that they say, well, were you just really bad at patient care? Is that why you went into this? And I really do love patient care. And I, I like to think of it. I just think that I have a potential for a better impact through this pathway. Yeah. I mean, that's all about like finding what your strengths can contribute to the most, right? Like I think like uh, one of the things that, you know, students ask about is like, you know, sometimes they're like, I don't know where to go. And it's more of like finding that match, finding that career path that matches with the skill sets that you know you're strong in. And yeah, like I, I agree with you. Like that's also why I went into the IT side was just because I knew that, uh, yes, I, I could do patient care. I have that training, but I also have that mindset in the programming side, in the informatics side that can, you know, synergistically contribute more to the field that I want to. So I, I really agree with like what you were talking about. And, and, you know, also going off that, like when you were going from managed care into that informatics role over at uh, OHSU, like, was that kind of like similar, like in terms of like you had some traits from managed care that you were able to apply in your informatics role? Or was that like a, just a complete change that you had to like learn everything again? I, I think it's a, probably a little bit of a mixed bag, Tony. Um, I, I think that is, there are certain skills I think that serve you well in these indirect patient care roles. One is, you know, leveraging your pharmacy practice knowledge. So no matter what you're doing, leveraging that, that like you said, the, the clinical training, the pharmacy practice knowledge, the knowledge of the workflows and operations, that's helpful in both of those roles. Also, the, the idea of managing projects and realizing who your customer is as you move away from the patient to do indirect care, you're not the customer. The patient's not your customer, even though you need to keep them in mind. So it may be members, it may be um, companies or in IT, it may, it's clinicians who are taking care of the patient. They're your customer. So keeping that in mind and making sure to manage projects so that you can get things done on time, you can measure, uh, you can work within your budget, you have a structure of stakeholders who have input on the project. I think all those are pretty translatable. Where it's a little different, I think, is that um, at least at the beginning, the for me, there wasn't as much focus on the revenue side of uh, the, the business of pharmacy. Uh, managed care, that was very prevalent. Um, in fact, you know that was driving a lot of what we were doing. Uh, use, judicious use of funds. That was probably there in uh, when I first started in informatics as well, but I didn't think about it as much. I was more focused on the clinical workflows. And in my consulting career, I've become much more aware of the, the business of pharmacy, so to speak, and that making sure IT helps drive and support the judicious use of funds. Because at the end of the day, those are those are patients' funds that are using to fund the work and make things efficient in the hospital. So we have to kind of keep that in mind. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that too. Yeah. So that's a really good point. And I think like there's a there's a lack of that, you know, in every place that I've been to, there's to be a lack of focus on the rev cycle for the for the pharmacy. And it's not that, you know, it's not that it's not important. I think there's also a lack of resource you apply to that side. It's also one of those things that, you know, we, we usually have like consultants come in to, to kind of give us a advice on how to manage that. Um, and you know, that also about just going back to your consultant role, I'm also curious to, to hear about like, if you have like a certain day to day kind of experience, or is it like very tailored to what your particular client for that day need? 
Yeah, I, I would say it's not it, it's not a routine. I, I do try to uh, keep some things on the macro level, Tony. And so because I have administrative responsibilities and consulting responsibilities, my time is roughly split 50%. So about 50% of the time running the business and about 50% of the time doing consulting for our clients. The role I'm in that now with my consulting for, for our clients is really based on managing teams. So I, I do provide advice advisory services based on my experience in practice, pharmacy practice and leadership and technology. But a majority of my role is managing some of the experts in different areas. So for example, if we were doing a, uh, let's say an implementation, uh, converting somebody from Pixis to OmniCell or OmniCell to Pixis, helping them do that, I would be helping manage a team, the right stakeholders to help that happen. And for us, even though that's a, using that specific example, even though it's a pharmacy led project, you need folks in IT to help. You need folks in pharmacy informatics, pharmacy inf- uh, operations. You need nurse expertise, nurse subject matter experts, sometimes anesthesia subject matter experts, depending on the scope of it. And usually there's um, you know senior level administrators in the hospital who are very interested in as well, and perhaps purchasing and things like that, depending on the scope of the project. So we bring expert resources on to balance out what the client doesn't have with the idea that eventually we can they can either identify people within the organization or we can help them identify people to hire and we transition that knowledge to those people at the end of the day. To me, that's one of the biggest misunderstanding about consulting that I also had before I came a consultant was that, uh, you know, we want to be there long term. I mean, that there are our clients who want us to help them maintain their systems because it's easier than having a resource on hand or they don't have the, the resources or it's a short term idea. They need somebody to help their systems. But a lot of times what's exciting to me about consulting is we help people. We're the activation energy, you know, to go back to our pharmacy knowledge to get some the project done because they don't have the resources. They don't have the expertise. They don't have the time. It's a big project. There's multiple projects going on. And so that's exciting for me that we get to move from A to Z. And then we we let the organization move it into their standard operations at the end of the day, and we can move on to something else or help another client. And so that's kind of how I spend my day. Uh, 50% of the time, I'm working with the various clients I have. And then 50% of the time, I'm working on the aspects of the business, whether it be growing our business, meeting with potential clients, thinking about the marketing or um, our operations or things. Like, yeah, you know, you're, you're, what you mentioned about consulting too is like, that's, yeah, like initially a, a long time ago, that's what I thought too, is that they're there for long term. But yeah, it was more recently, like, I think I saw it and the, the image was like, it was saying, it was showing that the best consultants are the ones that make the clients become the superheroes. And then I, I thought that was like a really kind of a good, image of showing like what consulting really is versus like what people just um, may think about if they don't have that um, knowledge of like what it is right so so yeah like that's uh that's thanks for you know just re-emphasizing that yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I, I like that tagline. I, I might have to steal it, but I'll certainly credit you with it, Tony, <laughs> if I use it later on. But I think that that's exactly right. I think at the end of the day, we don't want, you know, to me, the worst situation is that we would go in, get something done, and then, you know, pull out and that the, the project would collapse or the momentum would collapse or, you know, whatever was completed wouldn't be able to move forward. And so I, I think we, re- we really try to keep that in mind. And the best case scenario is they identify and somebody who's interested. We had that happen Recently, we did a Pixis to OmniCell conversion, and they had a frontline pharmacist who was uh, had practiced for a bunch of years, but was really interested in informatics. And so we were able to support him as he trans- transitioned into that new role. And then now he's doing the job, and he f- 
feels like he has the skills he needs to do the job. To me, that's the best case scenario because it's always better to have your own people have the knowledge and skills to achieve what happens. But sometimes external help is needed. And I don't think that should be seen as a problem. I think that should be seen as um, a, a smart way to get things done in this healthcare environment. Yeah. Also, like, you know, so many different things, newer things out there. Sometimes the external help is definitely needed because the people external from the organizations are going to be the ones that have experience with whatever it is that the organization is implementing. So it's always good to get that fresh perspective versus having everybody just internal all the time. It's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. And I, yeah, I, I I really agree about getting, you know, external help, you know, not to be relied on, but just to help get that knowledge in and continue going. So Oh, that, you know, you're, you're spot on, Tony. Like, I think that, yeah, we, I was at a consulting engagement recently and the chief pharmacy officer said, well, you know, I could say the same things, but if you guys come in from a different zip code, then everyone listens to you. <laughs> and so there's that side of it too, where, uh, external, uh, knowledge is, is seen as superior, but, it, it does allow you to be detached from it uh, a lot. You know, I, as an external party can come in, you know, they have no, we have no dog in the fight uh, to use an idiom that it's just whatever, whatever needs to be achieved. And we can look at that without the politics or the personal investment or things like that and give some, some pretty precise recommendations. And then the people there who know the culture best can talk about how, what the best way to achieve that and how to implement it and what they think will be successful because what their patients need and they can give us that feedback. But, um, external help is, you know, it should be encouraged. It happens in other industries. I think that uh, they use consultants a lot more to come in and assess their processes to make sure they're in line, benchmark themselves with other institutions. But in healthcare, you know, I think uh, some people are really on board with that and other people shy away from using consulting because the other reputation is, is that their people are there to slim down jobs. And, you know, in my experience, that's not something we ever recommend. You know, sometimes there's roles that need to be adjusted or responsibilities or reporting structures that need to be readdressed. Sometimes it's new staff that need to be added to take on new additional responsibilities. But our firm, thankfully, is not one of the ones who comes in is, is you know, got the red ink out and is talking about cutting. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, healthcare technology just being evolved like the last few years and continuing to evolve, it's just going to be expanding the roles that we need the people in. So with your vast experience in consulting and, you know, you have taught students as well. And I'm wondering, like, what kind of things are you trying to instill in the students in terms of informatics and with your unique experience and going through clients to provide that knowledge to them for being successful? Great question, Tony. So when I talk to the students, you know, I feel like there's probably about, and I'm overgeneralizing here, but over the years, it's been about 90% of the people are not terribly interested in informatics and about 10% of the people are. You know, not the students are attentive. They, they like learning about new things anyway. But I think that we're still at this point drawing a lot of people who direct patient care clinical practice into our field. And that's that's okay. I have, I have no problem with that. I like that these 10% that are interested have another avenue for them to apply their pharmacy knowledge. A couple of things I try to emphasize is that exactly what we talked about again, this idea of direct patient care versus indirect patient care, and realize that you can't, they came into this field with a passion for caring for patients, but it can happen directly or indirectly. And so it everybody doesn't have to be a, a clinical pharmacist on the front line. It's great if that's what you want to do. We need more people to do that as well. But to encourage students that there are these, these other 
other options as well. Another thing I like to to try to encourage them is to be systems thinkers. So uh, pharmacists in general, kind of our personality is to be more analytical, to dive down in the very nuanced details of the patient's complex medication regimen, their their history, their pharmacogenomics, and to really get detailed in that and the analytical process of assessing what the patient needs. However, it's also good to use the other part of your brain and zoom out and look at things for systems. You know, if you're developing a clinical workflow that makes sense for pediatric patients with a rare disease at your institution, that may make a lot of sense for them, but it may be five patients that your institution sees a month versus, you know, the other hundred patients that they see with a, a chronic adult condition. And so thinking about designing the systems to accommodate for both of them, but not to uh, exclude one or the other. So think about it from a system standpoint. The other thing I really like to em- emphasize with the students is this idea of eiatrogenesis. To me, that's a mouthful to say, but the safety of the systems we're implementing. Uh, pharmacists, like a lot of things in our in our uh, profession, we need to be at the table designing, advising, implementing anything to do with the medication use systems. One of the other things the Robertson Group does is we advise industry partners, uh, people who are developing new technologies for patients, vendors, things like that. And sometimes I'll connect with somebody new and they will have nobody clinical. They're developing a medication management application and have nobody clinical on their staff or their team. And I think that they're filling a void. They see the opportunity to develop these applications and get them out there. But really, those should be pharmacist-led projects or pharmacist-nurse-physician-led projects. And uh, like we talk about in health IT, the clinical needs, the workflow, the IT really uh, responds to that. IT doesn't drive the clinical needs and the flow. It responds to what's already there. So I, I think just encouraging people to that technology is here to stay in the classroom. Uh, usually I start my lectures by saying, uh, raise your hand if you hate, hate technology. And there's always somebody, people who take the bait. And then I say, well, you should probably look at another profession because healthcare and technology are married for the future. And so to me, if you're a clinical pharmacist and doing critical care practice, you should, you should be really interested in technology as well and be on an advisory committee to making the best use of the medication use systems for your critical care patients. Not everybody has to be a specialist in the field, but everybody in that classroom should really care about designing the best systems, safe, efficient, effective for our patients. So those are a couple of things I try to highlight. And then I try to make it really practical. Really, like what are some real world problems that folks are facing out there? What are they going to see as they go out on their rotations and their residencies and things like that? So that they can, you know, sometimes it's it's too um, abstract for them to get their hands around. So we have some really concrete examples of people, their jobs, their roles, projects they're working on, things like that. So I like that you made the mention of eiatrogenesis. And I think that one, um, that term, I haven't actually heard many of my colleagues around here talk about it with the students. And I do, but I always try to emphasize it to them that, you know, you're introducing all this technology and you're also introducing new ways of potentially having errors. Yes, you are fixing the old things, but then there are new ways that may, you know, there are new things that didn't exist before that can cause errors. And that's one of the things that also need to be accounted for when developing these new systems. So, so yeah, like I, I really like that you, you mentioned that because I think that's the first time I've heard that term outside of me talking about it with my students. It's very good. I think we need to publicize it more. You know, I, I found that some of our terms that it's, if it's too hard for people to say, they won't say it, repeat it often, but that's one of the ones I used to call it. Some of this work grew out of, I'm 
not, uh, you're probably more familiar with the literature than I am, Tony. But um, as far as I understand, some of this work grew out of Joan Ash's uh, work who, with the Department of Clinical Informatics at Oregon Health and Science University. They have an academic department in addition to the, the actual, the applied informatics that happens in the hospital. And she started her work, I always think about it, of unintended consequences. And that's what I think she started her work with using that term. And then over time, her and others um, started using the term EI atrogenesis. But really, that's what I try to engage the students with is thinking about and our clients as well um, is thinking about, you know, what are what are the what do we want from this system? And what are the potential some of the unintended consequences? I'm a big fan of when we start projects, a term I like to use is what are the guiding principles? So what should be what are we doing from a policy standpoint, from a systems goal standpoint, from a clinical care standpoint, and those guiding principles, getting in a room with the whiteboard and getting those really standardized. And that way, as we go throughout the project, we can always refer back to those guiding principles. Um, you know, should we add this bell or whistle or this feature? Okay, well, let's look at what we intended to do at the beginning. Does it fit that or not? And maybe the guiding principles need to be modified, but at least gives you a framework for uh, what you're trying to achieve with the technology. Sometimes, and I think in our field, we can get in a very reactive mode of responding to the next upgrade, the next, you know, new disease set that comes out, the next regulatory pressure that happens. And we need to step back and look at the bigger picture of what we're designing. Otherwise, we're going to end up with uh, systems that are really kind of cobbled together with duct tape rather than that are well designed for what we intended it to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, like for you know, students, you already mentioned about like that advice that you gave to students about thinking on the systems level. And I was also curious, like, you know, sometimes we have these other pharmacists that, you know, they're currently working in different fields and they're finding that, you know, they want to get involved in that technology space, whether it be informatics or, you know, maybe digital health or consumer health informatics. You know, you have a lot of experience. You came from managed care going into informatics. So what kind of advice would you provide them? Well, the first thing, and I've had probably like you, Tony, I've had a lot of people reach out to me asking how they kind of get breakthrough uh, from being a practicing pharmacist to that. And I think it, you know, to be honest, I think it is tougher to switch careers like that midway unless there's opportunities at your institution. Um, so some folks who are coming from a retail background and they want to get into health system pharmacy and also do informatics, I think it's a little bit of an uphill battle because they have to you know, show that they have the skills to make that conversion. That being said, I think it's probably uh, 50% of the time there are those opportunities. So I would encourage them to, to do it. To me, I would much rather have somebody like that who has this wealth of pharmacy practice experience and can apply it to technology. So if you're coming from an outpatient background, we'll look for ambulatory technologies or home care technologies because you really know that space a lot better than other people. If you're coming from an acute care setting, maybe you can leverage that knowledge to convert to do some acute care technologies. Nevertheless, to me, the important parts are to have that idea of, you know, continuing to think of the patient, pharmacy practice background, understanding workflow and operations, and being able to think about systems in general and how they interact. So that's what I look for in candidates when I'm talking to them. If they have those, I think you can take an opportunity on a person and train them in the specific technologies that you're that you're working on. It's harder if somebody doesn't have that mindset. They just might not be a good fit for the field. I think, uh, you know, I've talked about this. I'm very involved with ASHP, and I think that's another thing I'd like to encourage the 
the students to find a professional home and become very involved because if you're not doing it, somebody else is going to be driving our profession in the future. And I think ASHB has done a great job of the certificate program. I've sent a lot of people that way to do a distance learning certificate program that has, you know, it's practical enough that you have to do a project and apply it to your work site, but abstract enough where you get the the kind of the didactic background that you, you need to move forward. So I would like to see our profession have more opportunities for people to transition into informatics who are interested, more formal training opportunities. I know that, you know, five years or so ago, there was a, a push to do non-traditional pharmacy residencies where you could take someone who was a perhaps a dispensing pharmacist and can convert their mindset to a clinical pharmacist. And um, so they would have both moving forward and, you know, making it maybe longer than a year, but people do a couple weeks of residency, a couple weeks of staffing and kind of alternate that way. I would love to see the same thing happen with informatics, that we can leverage all that knowledge that people have, but kind of get them entrained in the standards of uh, pharmacy informatics practice. Yeah, yeah, that's really, that's awesome. And, you know, like, I, I just like look forward to like seeing how that our roles can expand in this field because, you know, technology is continuing to evolve. And, you know, with the new stuff like, you know, AR technology, whether that's going to be helpful and using predictive analytics within conjunction with AI and things like that, adding that to the clinical decision support side too. And there's still more innovation that we have no idea yet because people are still being creative and thinking of new things uh, every day. So, you know, seeing that that kind of is part of our future is really exciting and also like really exciting for that field of the informatics pharmacy. though. Yeah, spot on, Tony. I think you're exactly right. And I think that uh, like other things in our field, I really think we should think about informatics and technology. And I, I've dialogued with this about with other ASHP leaders and ASHP itself is that we need to think about what are the standards that a student should have with regards to technology? What about a PGY1 resident? What about a specialty resident in pharmacy uh, uh, informatics and especially a resident not in pharmacy informatics? What about an entry-level practitioner? What about somebody who's in the field, but like you said, needs to update their, their knowledge base because there's a new technology out. And so it's a, it's definitely a continuum. We could say the same thing about pediatric care or primary care, that there's those continuum that needs to happen throughout your career. But it would be great if we thought about technology that way because you're right. It's The, the exciting part about it is that technology is going to continue to change and the same different skill sets might be needed in the future or deep knowledge and analytics, as you said, or as AI becomes more prevalent. Understanding that from a healthcare standpoint versus uh, you know a programming standpoint. So I think you're, you're exactly right about that. So for the listeners who are interested in, I guess, uh, you know, asking further questions specifically for about your journey or your career, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? They, they can certainly email me. Uh, my email is joe at trg.consulting. Like everyone else, um, I get plenty of email and I'm happy to respond that way. I'm also active on Twitter and LinkedIn. So I'm happy to connect with folks on social media. One of the things I really do love, uh, Tony, is that when I'm at a meeting, I usually try to attend both ASHP Major and the summer meeting when I'm able. And I love the sidebar conversations I get to have with folks. So I'm, I'm usually kind of roaming around and I get the chance to catch up with my old colleagues and potential clients, previous clients, but also students and residents residents from across the country. So if you ever see me walking around with my name badge at those meetings, I'm happy for your listeners to kind of stop me and we could go have a cup of coffee and talk shop a little bit as well. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. So I'll be putting your contact information in our show notes for anyone who's interested in reaching out. And, but you know, to be respectful of your time, I'd like to thank you again so much for taking some time out of your busy day to be on the show. Well, thanks so much, Tony. I really enjoyed talking with you. This was a really nice conversation and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to have a voice with all of your listeners and get the message out on your popular podcast. So thanks again. 
All right. If you like our show, please share with your friends, or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Slack group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P H A R M A C I S T S C O N N E C T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there, and I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And remember, technology is a tool, patient care is the goal.